Good morning. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Gene Bauer, co-founder and president of the Farm Sanctuary, the nation's leading farm animal protection organization. Impressive as that sounds, the Farm Sanctuary is much more than merely an organization. It's a magical place in upstate New York with counterparts in both Southern and Northern California. At each location, you'll find an array of farm animals that have been rescued from abuse and neglect, saved from factory farms and slaughterhouses. You can visit and make friends with cows and pigs and sheep and others. It's a powerful experience. Bauer, who helped launch Farm Sanctuary in 1986, has written a new book, Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, The Ultimate Guide to Eating Mindfully, Living Longer, and Feeling Better Every Day. The book is an inspiring literary fusion that blends lifestyle guide with philosophical treatise about the virtues of eating in accordance with your values and offers an elegant manual on how to cook and eat the Farm Sanctuary way, featuring 100 recipes contributed by celebrities culinary hotshots and others find out more about all this when i speak with gene bauer in a few moments here on talking animals also later in the show i'll speak briefly with father billy jansen of holy spirit catholic church in safety harbor where the church will be holding a community pet fair this saturday may 16th lastly i want to mention that wmf summer membership drive starts two weeks from tomorrow talking animals always has a huge fundraising goal $3,000 in this case. Crazy for an hour-long show. And I could really use some uh, early support to make that goal happen. How about donating on behalf of Talking Animals today? Why not? As usual, we'll have special exclusive thank you gifts for your support of this show, including a pair of insanely good tickets to see Steely Dan and Elvis Costello and the Imposters, and a fab new Talking Animals t-shirt that we'll be unveiling in the coming days. Email me during today's show at dj at wmf.org if you'd like to know more or to donate early. Thank you. Now, with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing us at dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. Let's welcome Gene Bauer back to Talking Albums. Good morning, Gene. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Thanks. Uh, great to uh, have you back. I've been fortunate enough to speak with you, uh, I guess, two other times over the years, and I'm delighted to have another uh, opportunity to chat today. So congratulations on the book. I want to specifically discuss the book, both both form and content, in a few minutes. But uh, since so much of the book hinges philosophically and otherwise on what happens at Farm Sanctuary, while recognizing that many folks listening may not be familiar with the operation, maybe we could start by asking you to provide an introductory overview of sort of a Farm Sanctuary 101, if you will. Sure, absolutely. Well, Farm Sanctuary is a nonprofit organization that works to challenge our factory farming food system. We began by doing investigations to see what was happening to animals at slaughterhouses, stockyards, and factory farms, and found living animals literally thrown in trash cans or living animals thrown on piles of dead animals. So we started rescuing them, and we currently operate three choice, one in New York and two in California, where the animals get to live out their lives, where we treat them as our friends, not our food. And we also campaign for changes in the food industry and try to ban some of the worst cruelties 
such as putting animals in small cages where they can't even turn around or stretch their limbs for their whole lives. And we encourage citizens to become more mindful and aware of their food choices and to make choices that are aligned with our own compassionate values and our own interest to eat food that is good for us and doesn't support this abusive industry. So we do rescue, education, and advocacy work. All right. Well, that's uh, that's a pretty a pretty darn good overview there. Yeah. So well, let's get let's get into the new book, which actually feels like a few books kind of rolled into one. And uh, on an aesthetic level, is is gorgeous, beautiful paper, stunning photography. I mean, this baby could pass for a for a coffee table book, except that it's far too functional to just sit on a coffee table. So uh, among its identities is is sort of this elegant manual of how to cook and eat the farm sanctuary way, offering a hundred some odd recipes. So that's kind of the second half of the book. So maybe we'll circle back to that shortly. But one of the things I loved most about the first half of the book is its tone. And um, it's gentle, it's kind and, and inclusive without a hint of being, um, I don't know, judgmental. The, you know, A full-on carnivore could feel as, as welcome in these pages as a veteran vegan. We should know here that you actually co-wrote the book, by the way, with Gene Stone, author of Forks Over Knives and, and involved with some other great books. But what sorts of conversations did you two have about the, the tone and format of the book? Well, you know, Farm Sanctuary, as one of our organizational values, speaks to people where they are on their own journeys. So we make a very conscious effort to try to attract and engage people and involve people in the discussion, you know, rather than judging. And, you know, with the book, Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, we just encourage people to think about it and to start considering a more plant-based diet. And, and Gene Stone and I are our friends, and he wrote Forks Over Knives. And we just started speaking early on about the tone being very engaging and very attractive and something that anybody could pick up, whether they're a longtime vegan, because there's, you know, always good reminders in there about the health benefits, the environmental impact and, and, and the animals. And um, also something for somebody just becoming curious about this, where they could start learning about the issues in, in a positive way. And then the book also has tools for people that want to start taking steps towards living a more mindful, plant-based uh, lifestyle. Yeah, well, it, it really, you know, it kind of hits on, I think, on all those points, because again, it, it's just very welcoming. And so, yeah, wherever you were on, on the journey, as, as you put it, you, A, would feel very comfortable, B, you would learn some things or at least be reminded of some things. To what extent were you guys seeking to, to sort of convey information about what might be called the, the, the farm sanctuary life from the philosophy uh, to how to prepare and enjoy meals, and how much aim to sort of create a distinctive offering amidst the, the increasingly cluttered category of, of sort of vegan-oriented books? Well, this book includes both the reasons why as well as the how to adopt this lifestyle. And I think, you know, it's very much about being incremental and in taking small steps that ultimately lead to more steps that lead to bigger steps. But this is hinged on farm sanctuary, and there's amazing photos there of farm animals and people interacting in positive ways. So that's sort of the unique thing about farm sanctuary. We model a different kind of relationship with cows and pigs and chickens and turkeys and other animals who most people grow up eating without really thinking very much about them and about who they are and about the lives that they live on factory farms and about the potential lives that they could enjoy at a sanctuary like Farm Sanctuary. So, And we wanted the book to uh, be positive and just talk about the benefits of living this lifestyle. I think in recent years, there's been many videos and images of the abuses of factory farming. And, you know, in the past and, and still today, to some extent, we share those. But 
you know, I think people have seen enough at this point and recognize there's something wrong with the factory farming industry, and they want to live better. So living the farm sanctuary life talks about five tenets for living better and healthier. And the first one is to live in alignment with our value. And, you know, most people are humane and don't like cruelty, but most people are also unwittingly supporting an abusive factory farming industry by making certain food choices without thinking enough about them. And so this book invites people to start thinking and then to make choices that they can feel good about that are aligned with their interests, as their values, as well as their interests. Because eating food from animals is also bad for the environment. It's also bad for our health. And, you know, if we can live well without causing harm to other animals and without causing harm to the environment, why wouldn't we? And so we just ask people to consider that question. If we can live well without eating other animals and, 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 and without factory farming, why wouldn't we? Again, this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Trust. My guest is Farm Sanctuary co-founder Gene Bauer. His new book is Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, the ultimate guide to eating mindfully, living longer, and feeling better every day. If you'd like to join the conversation, uh, ask Gene a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So, Gene, yeah, I mean, you said a, a handful of things there that I want to expand on, and you might as well just keep going. I'm sort of, I have the book here, and I, I'm flipping through to get to... Um, the page that uh, that includes the five tenets of farm sanctuary living. And by the way, just as I was flipping through there, I was just reminded about all the amazing photographs just, just in the 14 pages, I guess it is, before we get to, to where those five tenets are listed. There's just stunning uh, stunning photography. But yeah, maybe we could just quickly sort of outline specifically those five tenets just because I think that's so much about what we're talking about, sort of the philosophical underpinning of, of the book and, of course, just farm sanctuary life overall. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first tenet is to live and eat in alignment with your values, as I touched on. So instead of saying, don't tell me, I don't want to know when the factory farming topic comes up or when, when a person you know is thinking about slaughterhouses, it's important, I think, for us to be responsible and to take responsibility for our actions and to be aware of what we're supporting. And, and then ultimately to support things that we feel good about. And, and that would mean a shift away from our current food system in a huge uh, way for most people, because, you know, factory farming is an aberration, and animal slaughter is also something that is inherently violent, and, and most people really don't feel that great about it when they think about it. So the first tenet, which really kind of flows throughout, is to eat and live in alignment with our values, and most people are humane, so that's the first one. Second one is to eat, to, to have a, a mindful relationship with other animals, and studies have shown that when we interact with other animals in a positive way, it actually helps to reduce our stress, improve our lives, and increase our longevity. So that's all positive stuff, and it's also good for animals. So relating mindfully to other animals, and many people have cats and dogs in their homes and are connected with them, and the animals become part of their families. But when it comes to farm animals, too often people just disconnect and don't think about them. So a mindful relationship with animals is the second tenet. Third tenet is a mindful relationship with our food. You know, too often we just gobble down food without really thinking about where it came from or about thinking what it does to our body. And we eat food that is not good for us and that supports an abusive industry. And we eat too fast. So slowing down, savoring our food uh, is also good for us nutritionally because we're, we're better able to digest it. We feel satiated if we're paying attention and eat more slowly as opposed to eating fast. And so that's the third tenant. The fourth tenant is to eat plants for our own health. And more and more studies are showing that our health is suffering significantly 
because of our animal-based diet, it's been estimated we can save 70% on healthcare costs by shifting to a whole foods plant-based diet. So eating plants is good for our health. It's in our interest. And the fifth tenet is to eat plants for the well-being of the planet. And the United Nations put out a report a couple of years ago, and there's more and more research coming out on this every year, talking about how animal agriculture is one of the top contributors to the most serious environmental problems our planet is facing. And so shifting to eating plants could lighten our carbon footprint. In fact, the United Nations reported that animal agriculture contributes more to climate change than the entire transportation industry. So it's really good that people are walking or biking or carpooling or or doing a variety of things to lighten their carbon footprint when it comes to transportation. But we could have a greater impact by shifting to eating plants instead of animals. Plus, animal agriculture uses enormous amounts of resources. 70% of the corn and 90% of the soy produced in the U.S. is used to feed farm animals. We could feed far more people eating plants instead of animals. It's just much more efficient. And so that's the fifth tenet, to eat plants for the well-being of the planet. And it all makes sense when, when you really step back and think about it. It really does. And it's so reasonable, whether it's urging folks to, to sort of turn off the TV and put away the devices when sitting down for a meal or, or even just chewing your food more slowly. I thought, heck, it's, it's Gene Bauer as my mom. But, uh, but, it made, <laughs> but, it made, you know, but it made such perfect sense because, again, the whole, the whole thing is, is uh, again, about being mindful and really just slowing down for a sec, thinking about what you're doing and just enjoying the people you're having your meal with and, and just across the board, it just makes uh, such good sense. So there's some other things I want to get into, but there's a caller here that we've uh, had holding for a bit. Let's get them over. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Gene Bauer. Hello. Hello. Am I on? Yes, it's you. Go ahead, please. Hi. I uh, like your guest um, book and I like his angle, um, but I think he's fighting a huge uphill battle. And, and the reason I say that is because people are going to tend to consider him as um, like a radical or a nut or whatever. And the reason I say that is because the psychology of food, he describes it well. Food is so psychological when people, it's emotional. And look what happened to Oprah. Remember when she um, got in trouble with the beef industry? That's how uh, Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil defended her. And that put him on the map. The, the the industrial food complex, they are not afraid of, of people like your um, like your guest there. What they are really afraid of is people like what Oprah said when, when it's about the emotion when you... People don't think about animals the right way. Like they want to kill all the spiders and all the snakes. They don't realize that animals are all part of us. But we don't look at it like that. We want the whole world as um, McDonald's cheeseburgers, puppy dogs, and baby ponies. And they think that way. And the grocery store wants you to think that way. They don't want you to know where that food comes from. So I, I, I think you need to attack it on the psychological level to really get through to people. Because the way that your guest is doing is good. I love that. But people aren't going to pay attention to that. And the, the food industrial complex is not afraid of people like that. And here's my prediction. I'll leave you with this. What's going on with the medical industry, the health industry right now, the way that um, we're finding out we've been bamboozled by the, the doctors and the hospitals and the insurance companies, that same process is going to hit the industrial food complex within the next 20 years when we start connecting the dots like he said, about what you eat causes your illness. About a third of all the cancers and all the illnesses are simply the stuff that we buy in public grocery stores. They don't want you to know that. I'll leave you all with that. 
All right. Well, thank thank you for your call. Uh, so, so Gene, any uh, response or, or responses even to the comments our uh, caller offered? Yeah, yeah. Well, animal agriculture is very entrenched in our political system, in our social economic system. And it depends, however, on people to buy its products and for people to sort of turn a blind eye to what they're supporting because, you know, if they looked at it, they wouldn't want to support it. And things are actually starting to change in a significant way. The number of animals being killed in the U.S. actually started going down a few years ago. Vegan restaurants are cropping up all over the country. And even at restaurants that serve animal products, vegan items are becoming more readily available. In mainstream grocery stores, you have alternatives to cow's milk. You have almond milk and soy milk and coconut milk, for example, on a more and more regular basis. So things are changing, and I think it's largely at the grassroots level. And it's individuals who are finding that their lives are improved. And this also includes professionals, including doctors who during medical school didn't learn very much about nutrition, but through working with their patients with an open mind, they've seen that using plants can actually be used to reduce the risk of heart disease, to get people off of medications. And when I travel around the country, I'm meeting so many people who have changed the way they eat and the way they live by going towards eating plants instead of animals. And the results have been astounding and very positive. And when people in the community see these sorts of positive results others are getting, they start being curious and interested. And so I I see a big grassroots movement, basically. And I think that's what we need because animal agriculture is very much entrenched in Washington, D.C. and in state capitals. And Politically, it's pretty tough to get things done. But when people start voting with our dollars, supporting a different kind of food system, things will change and things are changing. Absolutely. I, I totally understand what the point the caller was making, but I guess to, to flip it around a little bit, especially from your standpoint, having having uh, launched the, um, the Farm Sanctuary in, in 86 and having seen very closely, obviously, all kinds of things that have happened and, and changed. I mean, there really has been a lot of change. And as you said, uh, things you can look at, restaurants, other things. I mean, Meatless Mondays. In fact, one of the things, again, that, that I like so much about the tone of the book, and, and there's even a, a section uh, early on that, that goes exactly to this tone that I was referring to called 10 Small Steps. And there's very simple things that people can do. So not everybody can go visit the farm sanctuary. If they did, I think they'd, they'd have this magical transformative experience like many of us have had. But um, they can also, of course, read the book and, and get the farm sanctuary experience that way. And so to me, it's more about the fact that things are changing people. And one of the, again, the things I love so much about the book is, as you mentioned even earlier, is that incremental change is okay, if, if, if not even suggested. Whereas I think other people's approach sometimes is, is that there's sort of this greater urgency, almost a pious urgency, like, hey, if you know this information, why wouldn't you change kind of everything overnight or, or right away? Yeah. And, that's- yeah, and that, kind of, that kind of also speaks to what the caller was saying about how this is an emotional issue. And change is scary. So change does take time for individuals. And that's why we do support incremental steps, such as Meatless Monday, where one day a week people go meatless and they learn about what kinds of plant-based foods they can start eating instead. And that often leads to more meatless days over the course of time. Um, and there's also great substitutes now. So instead of like a spaghetti and meatball, you can have spaghetti and veggie meatballs. And it, you're really not giving anything up in terms of taste or, or nutrition or anything. And you can also just start substituting vegetables like broth, for example, in the sauce. So um, you become more familiar with ways you can start adopting more plant-based foods in your diet. And those tend to grow over time. Um so it's it's a process. But one one of the things I can't remember if this if this is in your book or, or just I'm I'm uh, hooking this together. But uh, but with the 
huge advances. I mean, a lot of people who maybe just uh, sort of tried some vegan-related products or substitutes maybe some years ago, uh, but and then said, oh, this isn't for me, or this just doesn't work, this doesn't taste great. I mean, now, I, I think people, if they hadn't been back to it in some years especially, would be would be kind of shocked to find... Very true. Yeah, because uh, I can't remember this part, I can't remember if it's in your book or just something else just that, that reminds me of it, but, but people do taste tests sometimes, but it's sort of blind uh, taste tests, and often can't identify the substitutes from whatever they're substituting for, whether it's chicken or beef or whatever. And it's like, well, that's they've come a long way, baby, if that's the case. You're absolutely right. We have come a long way. And yeah, the New York Times food critic, in fact, did a taste test between chicken and a product made by a company called Beyond Meat that mimics chicken. And he couldn't tell the difference. Uh, that same product was on the Today Show on NBC. And the hosts also were confused and could not tell the difference between which was yeah. chicken meat and which was the veggie yeah. chicken. So the products have come an awful long way and they taste very much like what people are used to. And um, also they require far fewer resources. So over time, as these plant-based companies ramp up, uh, the prices of those products will go down and we'll be able to compete with meat in the marketplace and win. Yeah. Well, that's, that hits another important point I was going to bring up is that a lot of people say, well, even if I were inclined to do this, it's pretty pricey. And um, again, it's less and less so. And it's, and it's yeah. And, and one of the reasons that meat is as cheap as it is today is that it's subsidized by the U.S. government. Uh, the corn and soybeans that are fed to farm animals are subsidized, so they cost less than they should cost. A water and fossil fuels and other scarce resources are provided to animal agriculture at a, in a preferential way. They, they don't pay property tax like they should. And, and then when there is pollution, tax money goes in to help clean it up. So there's all these sorts of external costs that are being assumed by taxpayers and individuals. And one of the biggest ones is health care. You know, we eat these horrible, you know, foods that clog our arteries, give us heart disease, and then we spend, you know, thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands sometimes, or even even there's a million for health care. And it's crazy. And so that's a whole cost associated with this unhealthy system that agribusiness is not paying, but it's individuals who are, are carrying the cost of plus the suffering from these preventable illnesses. So as people just look at this and think about it um, and recognize that these vegan foods are starting to taste really good, I think change is happening and it's, it's never been a better time to be a vegan. Absolutely. This is uh, talking, uh, my guest is Gene Bauer, co-founder of The Farm Sanctuary. His new book is Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, The Ultimate Guide to eating mindfully, living longer, and feeling better every day. Gene, by the way, will appear at the Oxford Exchange in Tampa on Sunday. If you'd like to uh, get involved in the conversation, call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. Well, I think uh, the, the conversation has kind of naturally led us into talking about the recipes and some of the other cool things on the second half of the book, but let me uh, uh, get another caller in. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Gene Bauer. Did you have an actual question or comment? Or uh... well, I just said we all eat beef, you know, like Food and Drug Administration passes. So what, what, what was this book's name again? What is the book's name again? Yeah. It's called the, the Living Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, The Ultimate is Guide. That where it's in there? 
like, like. Okay, uh, that was rough in all kinds of ways. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> but um, so let's. It sounds like he's got his the blood flow to the brain isn't working as well as it could be. Well, he, I, I don't know what how he, how he began his day, but anyway, that's uh, yeah. back to uh, the matters at hand. So yeah, this book, as I mentioned earlier, wears so many hats, and, and a huge hat it wears is is that of sort of elegant cookbook with a hundred, I guess, about a hundred recipes for an array of meals, soups, desserts, and more. And these aren't just any recipes, but ones contributed by some pretty high-profile Farm Sanctuary fans and or notable culinary figures, Emily Deschanel, Moby, Chief uh, Chef AJ, the guy that's the chief uh, executive for, for Gardein, uh, Alicia Silverstone, I mean, on and on. So uh, what would you like to say, Gene, about these recipes and, and the folks who contributed them? I mean, how did, how did you select them? Because I'm sure there was a much larger number maybe that, that you had to even to pick from. Yeah, well, we're, I'm so happy with the recipes we have in the book. We reached out to chefs and friends and restaurant owners and, and cookbook authors around the country and got tons and tons of amazing submissions. And we wanted to include something for everybody. So there are some recipes that are very easy to make and some others that are more complex. So the novice chefs, there's something for them and, and for somebody who wants something more challenging. And, um, you know, and it shows that vegan food has really come of age and that we can eat tasties satisfying, complex food with complex flavors and enjoy it. And um, and we don't need meat. We don't need cow's milk. We don't need egg. We can get everything we need nutritionally and from a gustatory art standpoint through plant foods. And chefs today around the country are really creative and coming up with some amazing things. And some of the recipes in the book come from some of the top restaurants in the country. Yeah, you know, including like Candle Seventy Nine in New York City, Crossroads in Los Angeles, Veg in Philly, um, and Sublime in Fort Lauderdale, Darbster, another Florida restaurant. So there's you know really some some great stuff in the book, and uh, I think people will really enjoy it. Yeah, and I think uh, also the noted culinary expert Gene Bauer contributed a recipe, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, well, I, I contributed my my scrambled tofu. Uh, which I make on weekday mornings, and I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, well, that's a perfect example of uh, of a great breakfast uh, substitute that, that, again, if you didn't know, if you're just hearing about it, you think, oh, you know, I think I'll just stick with my scrambled eggs. But but if you haven't tried it, especially the Gene Bauer version, uh, you know, you got <laughs> you got at least do that first. So let's take another uh, call or two. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Gene Bauer. Question, how come all the stores have the same meat? over and over and over again. How come we don't see lean meat like boar and where's buffalo? Where's all the buffalo burgers? Why are we eating this crappy beef all the time? How come we don't have egret, emu? Why do we see the same stuff over and over again? All right, well, I'm not not really sure. Thanks for your call, I guess, but I'm not sure exactly how that... that poses a question for, for Gene. Yeah. But, um, well, I guess the, the main point there is we have a factory farming industry that's producing tons and tons of meat from billions of animals. And these are also animals that are fed antibiotics and treated very badly. And, and then that stuff is fed to people and, and people generally you know consume it without really thinking about it. And in terms of adding other animal parts to the diet, I'm not for that. I think that you know, there's plenty of plant foods, and there's such variety we can get from the plant kingdom. You know, eating different kinds of beans, even, and there's so many different kinds of beans, and then veggies, and fruit, and nuts, and whole grains. So, so that's really, I think, where, if anywhere, you know, we should focus when we're when we're at the grocery store and looking for nutritious food. 
For sure. And let me just uh, say, in terms of the, the recipes offered in the book, the, the categories are breakfast, salads, handheld meals, soups, appetizers and sides, entrees, and desserts. And again, a lot of ground is covered. Uh, do, do you want to, probably like a favorite ch- children question, but do you want to mention one or two, one or two that, that particularly grab you or that you think people uh, might be surprised such a great recipe exists in this? Uh... Well, well, what I would, I would, I, I, I probably shouldn't pick a favorite because they're all favorites. They're right. All okay. Very diplomatic so very would, good yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what i would say is that what, what i like about the book is that among many things is that some of the recipes are very much inspired by local cuisine like recipes you know from restaurants in florida for example have sort of a, a seafood kind of bent i mean it's all vegan all plant-based and same thing from the coast of california we have um the stanford inn which is a a, a vegan b&b up in mendocino county and that's also sort of ocean inspired recipes and we also have recipes from a chef down in arizona that are more southwestern inspired and so there's kind of this local regional feel to it as well so that, that's something i like about it all right let's uh gild the lily and try to take one another color here hi you're on talking animals with uh, gene bauer thanks Gene, for being vegan. I know you care. Did you have a question or comment for Gene? That, that's a great uh, opening, but... I um, would like to answer that previous caller's question. The meat industry subsidized by your tax dollars. And that's why you see so much beef on the... Right, as Gene kind of noted, that, and which is why it's, meat is often so cheap. But again, the, the, right. the cost of vegan options is, is going down as well. So that's... A, the, we can flip that question around is, wow, look at all the vegan choices in these grocery stores that have sold all these animal products for years and years and years. I think the tide is changing thanks to you guys. Peace. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for your call. Yeah, I agree. The tide is changing, and thank you for the call. And it's, it's, it's like I mentioned before, it's never been a better time to be vegan. It's, it's very exciting. I've been vegan since 1985, and we've never had so many choices. Hi, let's take another caller. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Gene Bauer. Hello? Hello, it's you. Go ahead, please. Hey, this isn't a funny question, but I'm going to ask it, okay? And I want to know if there's a correlation, because it seems to me that all of my male friends that are either vegan or vegetarians are all gay. And I'm just curious if it has anything to do with their sensitivity levels or if it's the testosterone in red meat. I mean, have you ever heard of such a thing? But I got to tell you, I know a lot of females that are vegan or vegetarian, but I know a lot of 99% of the guys that are all gay. Any correlation? Oh, thank you for your call. All right, uh, Gene, if you feel like responding to that, uh, have at it. Otherwise, I will get back to some of my questions. It's very hard to know exactly what causes people to make these choices, but I think sometimes if there's an awareness of the prejudice that exists out there and the insensitivity that exists out there and the abuse and cruelty that exists out there for people who are different, there might be a greater awareness and interest in helping other victims of abuse and cruelty, including animals. So there may be that sort of a correlation when there's an awareness of prejudice and, and discrimination and cruelty that draws folks who are not kind of status quo members of society. Um, but I also think that in terms of males who are vegan, there are some elite vegan athletes, you know, people like Scott Jurek, who won the Western States 100-mile race seven times in a row as a vegan, all on plant nutrition. Uh, there's Patrick Babouillon, who wrote, broke a world record, carried more weight than any human ever carries on a vegan diet. And Carl Lewis, the Olympic gold medalist, did his best time on a vegan diet. So you know, that, that, there's more and more athletes now that are coming forward and talking about how plant-based nutrition allows them to perform at a very high level. And that also, I think, is starting to dispel some myths that, you know, you know, to be strong, 
you need meat, which which you absolutely do not need. And I should add to that that uh, you yourself are a marathon runner and a Ironman uh, triathlete, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. I've done several marathons and Ironman triathlon, and uh, done it all on a plant based diet. Yeah. Let's. Uh, and by the way, uh, Gene, Michael, I'm saying at this point, but uh, I, I don't screen the calls, so I mean, this is kind of a, a more unusual, uh, like eccentric uh, collection than we normally get. But, uh, anyways, it's kept things interesting. But anyway, let me uh, just say too, it was you know wonderful seeing you uh, with John Stewart um, on the Daily Show last month, and, and I can only imagine gave the book a, a gigantic boost. And then a few weeks later, it was announced that, that John and his wife, Tracy, had purchased a farm in New Jersey that they planned to turn into a, to a farm animal sanctuary. And, and by the way, that, that were a service around that time that the farm sanctuary had named two sheep for, uh, for John and Tracy. But uh, anyway, if I guess that, that you had played a role in, in advising John and his wife on this purchase or this undertaking, would, would I be right? Well, no, they actually purchased the farm a little while ago before we met. Okay, okay. So so they had already done that. um, And, in fact, they have some pet animals, you know, that people, you know, they have pigs, for example, as companions. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about that on the show. And so Tracy is a very strong animal person, and John is very open-minded and thoughtful. And I think is also looking at these issues. and. Um, it's really cool to see them uh, adopting this way of interacting with other animals and being positive examples. And you can Tracy is the primary animal care person. And, you know, John, of course, has his own job on the show. But, but Tracy has a book coming out called Do Unto Animals, which is coming out in October. So keep an eye out for that as well. I will. And, you know, it's interesting because as far as, uh, as you say, you know, Tracy's probably the, the prime mover in that family, but... Uh, and, and John does have uh, his own job, but that Twain does meet. I mean, one of the reasons uh, a year or two ago I wanted to actually try to talk with John is, you know, he imposed uh, or, or allowed, but I guess kind of encouraged, let's say even, that at the Daily Show offices, people would bring their dogs. And like now it's just crawling with dogs. And of course, he's got this three-legged dog. And so he's uh, definitely, and also some of the guests that they book, uh, you know, I think including yourself, obviously, really reflect an interest and in, in passion on that, uh, on his behalf. Yeah. There's definitely an awareness and a sensitivity there and a recognition that other animals have feelings, that they are someone, not something, and that we have an obligation to treat them with respect and compassion. And and John and Trace here are great models and examples of that. So we're just sort of probably in our final moment or two here, Gene, but uh, I'm speaking with you, you know, here at a radio station in Tampa, so I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up at least briefly, the Robinson family, a sheep named Herschel, and everything that goes with that that, that you sort of touch on in the book. Can you give us a little a little uh, thumbnail sketch of, of their story? Yeah, absolutely. Where They are regular visitors to Farm Sanctuary and have connected with animals like Herschel the sheep. And there's some beautiful pictures of the family with Herschel in the book. And they're there local in Tampa. And so hopefully I'll get a chance to see them when I'm there later this week. But I mean, it's great. The story that you that you tell is about just how when they first visited and or one of the first times, I guess, that, that the boy Ian uh, sort of or the family adopted the sheep named Herschel. And then Herschel and Ian really bonded and, and, uh, and so kind of it sounds like a pretty remarkable way. And from there, I guess they've adopted other animals at, at Farm Sanctuary. So um, yeah, whenever they visit, Herschel recognizes Ian and wants to run up and say hi to him which is really cool. It shows that sheep and, and farm animals are not that different than cats and dogs. They recognize their friends and they want to spend time with them. Yeah. Well, that's another thing, too, that I think you mentioned in the book that, that again, for people who've been fortunate enough to, to visit Farm 
sanctuary as, as our family was a few years ago, is that, yeah, if you, if you get to spend some time there, you really get to hang with the animals. And pretty soon, a cow is, is following you around the way the dog that you left at home did. That's right. That's right. We have sheep, for example, that like Grace is one of our sheep, and she likes to be petted. So if you're petting her and then you stop and start walking away, she will paw at you like a dog would paw at you to say, please keep going. So these animals are very similar to cats and dogs in terms of their ability to relate to us, communicate with us, and to be our friends. No, it's really, really cool. So, all right, well, we've been speaking with uh, Gene Power, and the new book is Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, the Ultimate Guide to Eating Mindfully, Living Longer, and Feeling Better Every Day. Again, available however and wherever you get your books. And again, Gene will be uh, uh, appearing locally at Oxford uh, Oxford Exchange in Tampa on Sunday. And you can find out more about all these things and and the whole farm sanctuary world at farmsanctuary.org. Gene, thanks so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Cool, me too. In a moment, I'll speak with Father Bill Jansen about the community pet fair happening this Saturday at Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Safety Harbor. Just now, let's step into the Talking Animals Comedy Corner. In the run with the David Letterman's retirement, his final program airs a week from tonight. The show has been chock full of Dave's favorite guests. That included recently the great Brian Regan, who also happens to have a ton of great animal material. This is Brian Regan with a classic piece called Flipper and Gentle Ben on today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals. I watched a lot of Flipper growing up. Flipper, he was, he was something. Always saving people. Every show he'd go save some more. I save some people! <laughs> For that, they would throw him a dead fish. Hey, thanks! Thanks for saving people. He was always doing that backwards dance, three quarters out of the water. <laughs> Man, that was cool. Imagine if you could do that. That impressed some people at the public pool, you know? Just go, hey, how y'all doing? <laughs> Just skip across the top of the pool without getting your bathing suit wet and hop up on the other side. Hey, what's happening? And just grab a little towel, wipe off your feet. Yeah, it's a little colder than I thought. Wow, who's that guy? I thought, to be fair, they should have also had a bad dolphin, you know? Zipper! Big scar across his head. I'm moving safety buoys around. <laughs> Deal with that, flipper! Out chewing tobacco. Zipper surly. <laughs> he is uncaring. That was Brian Regan with a piece called Flipper and Gentle Ben, taken from his album simply entitled Lie. Right now from Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Safety Harbor to tell us about the community pet fair taking place this Saturday. Let's welcome Father Bill Jansen to Talking Animals. Good morning, Father Bill. Hey, Duncan. How are you today? It's a beautiful day out here in Safety Harbor. In fact, I'm out here on our front lawn where the pet fair is going to be taking place this week. Well, that's great. So uh, tell me, first of all, how is it that the church came to, to be presenting a pet fair? Well, you know, we, we moved into this beautiful new space here a little over a year ago. We, uh, we've been active in Pinellas County for, oh gosh, 11 years or so. But we came, came to this beautiful new property here on State Road 580. Uh, and it's really given us uh, uh, a nice opportunity to to think about a, a events and situations that we could make open to the community. 
uh, and uh, provide this beautiful space for people to come uh, enjoy a lovely, sa- uh, lovely Saturday afternoon. And, of course, Pet, uh, being one of the lovelier parts of God's creation, uh, is something that's always on our mind, because pets are very good friends to many of our parishioners and, and many of your listeners as well. For sure. Now, uh, Father Bill, are you yourself particularly uh, an animal person, fond of animals? or? Well, uh, well, I'll tell you, my wife and I personally uh, have had a total of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six basset hounds. We have one at the moment. Okay. Um, a couple of those were rescues. Uh, we've had... Uh, Two pairs of Siamese cats, and uh, uh, one of our Siamese uh, recently passed on. So we've acquired as a as a buddy to his half brother uh, a kitten that we rescued. So uh, we're we're very supportive personally of the of the whole animal animal rescue. Uh, operation, and we're going to have some rescue folks out here on Saturday for folks to talk to. Great. In fact, yeah, while we're at it, why don't you tell us exactly what's on tap for this Saturday, like sort of the when, where, and what people could expect. Sure. Uh, It's this Saturday, of course, which uh, my calendar tells me is uh, May 16th. We're going to be here from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., be very, very visible right out on our front lawn, and we're on State Road 580. We're on uh, the south side of 580, on the section of 580 that's between McMullen Booth Road and Tampa Road. So uh, it's, a, it's a stretch of highway that, that people out this way are familiar with, and maybe some of your folks will make their way from Tampa as well. Sure. But it's, uh, it's very visible, easy to uh, GPS. If, uh, the, the, uh, the street number is actually 3265. State Road 580. Okay. If people want to put that on their GPS, yeah. And we'll be right out here in the in the front lawn. Uh, we're going to have some uh, some gift baskets to raffle off. We'll have some pet related businesses here, uh, giving out information. As I said, we're going to have a uh, we're have some having some rescue folks to talk about the work they do, and uh, refreshments will be available, and balloons and festivities and and all that kind of things. We even have one of our folks that is, I think, promised to bring a cat, which is larger than normal size. All right. Well, that certainly has got to be intriguing. But I think so far you might be leaving out the, the one of the more distinctive elements, uh, and that's to be the blessing of the animals, unless that's, uh, that's Ab- not... No, no, absolutely. That's, yeah. uh, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, in the morning... Uh, and I believe it's about 11 o'clock, but sometime before noon, we're going to have one of our Franciscan brothers here, Brother Hattie, uh, who is going to bless all the animals who are here. And, of course, their owners with them, because, uh, as you know, I'm sure, and as, uh, as I know from my home situation, uh, animals are really a part of our family and a very, very important part of our family lives. And and so Brother Hattie will be here to, to bless the animals and their owners. And we'll also have the opportunity for, um, as we like to say, the, the, the animals' people uh, mm-hmm. to, be, uh, to have their uh, picture taken in a very lovely garden setting. Uh, with the animals as a, as a little souvenir takeaway. Wow, that sounds cool. Now, Father Bill, is there um, either a website or a Facebook page or anywhere else online where people could could follow up and, and double check this information or hit? Yes, they can they can find that Duncan uh, at our webpage, which is Holy Spirit CCC 
Okay. Holy Spirit, ccc.org. Org. Great. So all the details about this Saturday's pet fair are provided there for people who might be driving around or otherwise not have caught all the information. That's exactly right. But as I said, Saturday, 10 to 2, we're here on State Road 580 on the south side. Big, uh, big, comfortable lawn. As I said, I am, in fact, walking back and forth across the lawn as, uh, as I'm talking to you. So uh, we hope we'll have a kind of day uh, on Saturday that... that that we have today. Great. Well, it's great to get a remote report too. We don't always get those on these uh, interviews. So live on scene. I'm, I'm that's I'm doing, right. I'm doing a stand up here without the camera. I like it. All right. Well, <laughs> father bill, well, good luck on Saturday. Sounds like a wonderful uh, day. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today on talking animals. Well, thank you, Duncan. Uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk about it. And if I may, may say, God bless you and God bless all your listeners. Likewise. Thank you. Thank father you, bill. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Coming up at 11 on WNF, it's Rob Lorai and Radioactivity now rolling into the noon hour. It constitutes a full two hours of uh, interviews, phone calls, news, and more. Meanwhile, as the prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering a copy of the Talking Animals Anniversary Bass CD. We'll also hear a favorite animal song that a listener requested last week. We'll get to that in a moment here on Talking Animals. Right now, just a couple of quick animal news items. Nancy C. here uh, does It's the Music on Thursday afternoons from 1 to 3.30. Called my attention on this. An Army veteran who smashed a window to save a dog from a hot car has been arrested, according to Associated Press report. The AP reports Michael Hammonds of Athens, Georgia, was charged with criminal trespassing after freeing the Pomeranian mix that was in distress inside a car parked outside a store. The AP reports witnesses were waiting for the police to arrive when Hammonds smashed the window. The owner of the car insisted Hammonds be arrested. She was cited for leaving the dog in the car and was not identified by deputies. Also something that we'll probably delve into further on a full show. Uh, we talked about this actually a few times, just in little news items. And here's another one from uh, Tamara Lush from the Associated Press. LaBelle, Florida, headline, uh, Dateline, with three monkey breeding facilities and a fourth in development, rural Henry County has become one of the con- country's biggest suppliers of research primates. This has some neighbors and many animal rights activists howling. The Animal Legal Defense Fund has filed suit against the county, saying that officials didn't follow the state's sunshine law, but approved one of the facilities under an agricultural zoning designation. Henry County officials have launched an investigation into two of the facilities. Officials want the companies to explain what they do with the quote-unquote non-human primates on the property and whether they perform research, tests, or experiments on the animals. More to come on that. I'm Duncan Strauss. You are listening to Talking Animals, where the show website is TalkingAnimals.net. It's time to proceed to name that animal tune. This is a giveaway, but please only participate if you haven't won something from us in the last 90 days. And there'll be a prize, a Talking Animals Anniversary Bass CD, the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's name that animal tune on Talking Animals.
We may uh, we may take the guesses off there because we have just about reached today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF. Tampa, Rob Laurie is up next with amounts of two hours of radioactivity. I'll be back next Wednesday, May 20th, with another edition of Talking Animals. I hope you'll visit our website, TalkingAnimals.net, where we make available all sorts of information as well as archives and podcasts of past Talking Animals programs. We also have a link to the Talking Animals Facebook page, our Twitter feed, and more. Please like us on Facebook, the show, and or me personally, and follow us on Twitter. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animals world. That's all found at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind animals. Be kind others. Be kind yourself. Please consider donating in support of Talking Animals. Today, hit our tip jar on WMF.org or email me at DJ at WMF.org and we'll fix you up and you can fix us up. We're closing out today's show with a longstanding favorite animal song from Ray Wiley Hubbard, who incidentally has a new album, but uh, partly by request, here's a chestnut of his. Ray Wiley Hubbard with Snake Farm on WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wiki, Wachi, and beyond. Community Conscious Radio. Catch you next Wednesday at 10 a.m. on Talking Animals. Well, woman I love is her name Ramona. She kind of looks like Tempest Storm. She can dance like a little Egypt. She works down at the snake farm, snake farm. It just sounds nasty, snake farm. Pretty much is snake farm. It's a reptile house, snake farm. Of humor, she got a tattoo down her arm. It's a python eating a little mouse wearing a sailor hat that says snake farm, snake farm. It just sounds nasty, snake farm. Pretty much is snake farm. It's a reptile house, snake farm. She works there She says, well, it's got its charm There's nothing to do in the winter Now and then some kid gets bit at the snake farm Snake farm It just sounds nasty Snake farm It pretty much is Snake farm It's a reptile house Snake farm She cried when they broke up She still plays the records at the snake farm Snake farm It just sounds nasty Snake farm Pretty much is Snake farm It's a reptile house Snake farm Ooh.